Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Welcome back to week 10 of NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. Kyle, we are in store for a wild, wild slate in week 10 on Sunday. Before we begin, just a reminder that we also began a tournament recap show to take all those thoughts and lessons learned into their own individual lessened video that you can see on the NBC Sports Edge YouTube page. You can go there. It'll be live at halftime Sunday night, football moving forward, but also available for you for replay Monday morning, just in case you want to wait to wipe away the tears and learn some lessons, since it has obviously been the hardest DFS season literally of all time. But nonetheless, let's go ahead and move on, because it is, like I said, a wild, a fun, a chaotic slate where every play is essentially good. And so I would just like to start with you. Maybe not a decision point just yet, but just a couple quick overarching thoughts. Yeah, it's super weird. This is um, like, this isn't uh, a one-to-one correlator, but of all slates we've had this year, it does remind me the most of an NBA slate where the, the chalk is just so obvious and the values. Like if you just took the, for instance, running back values, on this slate and compared them to all of their slates, they would look like you were playing different DFS sports. It's just so, so many good running back values on this spot that it really creates a weird dynamic of uh, more so like when there are really popular plays in NFL, I'm totally like an aggressive tournament player willing to fade a lot of them in large field tournaments. This one, I think you do have to weigh more like last year. I looked at a few different slates where there were really big chalk running backs and a lot of the top 150 like max players, like the the really profitable ones, the ones you're seeing, actually not all of them screenshot, but the ones you are seeing for content purposes, screenshot and stuff uh, like the best players were often at or above the field on the really good value running backs and building unique lineups in different ways while kind of just accepting that, you know, the 4,900 running back projected for 24 touches it's hard. It's it's almost like NBA where the value sometimes is so obvious that you try and push things in different ways. And uh, this is one where that decision at least comes up. As Dragonfly Jones mentions, and I don't think it's the real Dragonfly Jones, but it is just no, I'm a very big fan. Tyler Johnson, the answer to every question. And I will say that's another predicament in this slate is that all the cheap receivers that you're going to gravitate to the field will also gravitate to. Everyone's aware of Tyler Johnson. Everyone's aware of Michael Gallup at 4K, who is fully healthy and will be activated this game in a game that everyone is trying to garner players in. So that's what makes this slate so unique. With that, I actually want to get your decision point first, the conundrum you've been dealing with while building lineups so far this week. 
Yeah, for me, this one, like dovetailing into what I was talking about before, is uh, how do you build lineups in terms of your roster ship percentage? Because I think most people are going to take, I mean, most people, I think, to play too chalky. That's why there's an edge. But most people who are, I think, sharp tournament players are going to probably choose a barbell approach where they play some serious, uh, like, chalky spots and then get really wild off the board. But instead of that, you could probably play one or two less of those chalky spots, but then play a modestly uh, popular sort of Dallas stack or something like that, or a Tampa Bay stack, if you fade maybe two of the three chalk running backs or something like that. So I do think for me, this is a slate where I'm like almost more mathematically inclined than a lot of other slates where I am simply weighing the value of a projection versus how popular play is to really hone in on what types of builds are going to be plus EV. I think to me, this is one where I'm almost looking at names and spots less and more looking uh, purely based on how well someone projects versus ownership. And that like starts with the obvious chalk running backs, Mark Ingram, Sands, Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Sands, Chase Edmonds, and that's uh, Ernest Johnson with literally no one behind him. Like uh, they, they don't, I, I mean, we don't know for sure. Nick Chubb technically could play this game. They didn't rule him out yet uh, today, but it does seem. He has been ruled out. Was okay. what I was trying to say. Okay, Chubb, Chubb, Felton, and Kelly uh, I believe Kelly also, but Chubb and Felton for sure are out. It looks like it's going to be as we expected all week. And again, we knew this on Tuesday. Uh, no player clears COVID protocol doesn't happen, yeah. if they test positive. Just doesn't happen this year. It is the one consistent that we have had every single week. Noah Fant last week was the most recent perfect example of testing positive on Tuesday. Couldn't make it back for Sunday. So that actually made it easier to say, okay, here's where we're going to start. We have these players no matter what. The issue for Dearness Johnson also is that He's on, on FanDuel, he's just too cheap. Uh, 5,100, I believe it is. So like whether it's on DraftKings or FanDuel, it's almost like you have to jam them in. Having yeah. said that, it has opened up so much the board and there are so many good plays. And just quickly, I'll just list them off because there are many. Uh, if you want to go to the top, and this is not even regarding injury news, you go to the top for Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, all awesome plays. Sink down beyond that, James Conner. Najee Harris, DeAndre Swift, all awesome plays. Get a little cheaper. Dearness Johnson, Brandon Bolden, Mark Ingram, all amazing touch-based plays. That's the issue this week as well, is that it's not just injuries. Like, Chris Carson goes away, right? He gets ruled out, and we can say, okay, we saw Alex Collins get 10 touches to Rashad Penny 7, thus we're not worried about that situation. All the injuries around that, though, beyond Carson, are leaving touch-based options, workhorses, bell cows, basically, that it's totally safe to roster in terrific matchups. My argument would be the discussion begins at, like, Dearness Johnson around him because yeah. there are so many options that opened up. I don't know if Dearness Johnson, like, is guaranteed, like, you have to play him because doesn't exposure just get flat because there are so many terrific options. Also, I think the one edge we have in this slate, if we have any, is that James Conner and Christian McCaffrey, and honestly, right now, if you ask me, based on how sharp the fields have been, I bet Christian McCaffrey gets steamed at higher, being higher rostered than Jonathan Taylor. And the one thing I will say is James Conner and Christian McCaffrey are in the 405 game for late swapping opportunities. And so that's why... No matter what James Conner comes in at, I'm still already destined to roster him just so I can prepare myself since all the chalk is happening at 1 p.m. Your Dak stacks, your Falcons game, all at 1 p.m. Your Brady double stacks, all at 1 p.m. And so if that hits, at least I know 
that I, what I need to do and how to like assess the rest of my lineup at 405 on. Also, the issue is that, you know, Josh Allen also plays at 1 p.m. But the good thing is like, if one of these chalk stacks hit, and you'll know, like if you start with Brady, if you start with Dak, we can already pretty much guarantee they're going to be two of the highest rostered quarterbacks. But if they do hit, and you're still sitting there with Connor at 405, you then have to genuinely ask yourself, okay, you got to be careful here because you could easily, without even thinking about it, get to, I'm not even kidding, like 180% combined ownership, right? Because like, that's how chalky some of these plays are going to be. So if Dak doubles hit and they're, you know, 15 to 20 across the board and you're already at 60, 75%, how these players are rostered in the field, then you're thinking, okay, like if Connor comes in at 20%, like I have, Dak went off, but I still have a chalk option here. And so I would just say I would use the afternoon games wisely. And honestly, wisely may be taking Kyler, DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore down to the wire, late swapping perhaps to Eno Benjamin. If you do think like the Cardinal steamroll, that could mean it could be like a Shoney Michelle instance where Eno Benjamin gets 10 plus carries. Uh, I'm sorry for taking a lot of time, but I think that's the edge we have in this slate right now, in my opinion. You know, Benjamin is such a, a filthy leverage, but like, that's something you see like really sharp players do. And you're like, you're like, after he goes off for two touchdowns, you're like, well, that makes a ton of sense knowing how, like if he does, I'm not saying he's going to take on the chase, uh, the chase Edmonds role, but I'm also not saying he couldn't, he actually profiled as like a really similar back to chase Edmonds coming out of college in terms of his both uh, like uh, receiving rushing combination, but also just his overall size. He profiles as that sort of scat back type of player. And if he takes on that Edmonds role, Edmonds is like the perfect leverage play off of Connor. We just obviously don't have Chase Edmonds this week. So I love that. I love using the four o'clock slate as just ways to jam in, plays that project well, and then work from finding out what happens. And I do like another point you made that uh, like if you play your chalky stack, you're not learning a ton. You're learning that you gained a modest edge. But if you're if you're chalked, you know, Tampa Bay, Mike Evans, Tom Brady, and then the, the chief Tyler Johnson type of punt goes off. Sure, it gives you an advantage. You're probably more comfortable playing chalk, but you at that point still need some sort of leverage play in the late slate to hit, or else you are just competing with, you know, 10% of chalky, you know, the chalk Tampa Bay build, you know, the Tampa Bay, James Conner and Dearness Johnson, whatever. If you played that start, you can't really gain much information from the first half of games, it's a little more than half, obviously, from the first slate of games. So even then at that point, you kind of alluded to this, you still have to weigh what James Conner is worth to you because there could have been, uh, you know, another early game that went off just as much, scored just as many points, but at a cheaper price. And it makes them easier to jam in better plays in the late slate. So I think even looking at this slate, because it's going to have such condensed ownership on very chalky, deservedly so, running back plays that you have to evaluate even your plays that were, quote, correct from the 1 p.m. slate and then push forward with that. You know, if you have a really good, you know, if Tyler Johnson scores once, Mike Evans finds the end zone twice, Brady hits 300, you can probably stand pat on James Conner. But if you have, you know, Tyler Johnson scores once and then the tight end scores two times and Mike Evans goes flat, your lineup sort of looks like it projected well, like or it has a decent amount of points to it. You're not going to be able to live with that Mike Evans, you know, nine burger or whatever. So at that point, you probably have to go full leverage to something like, like, uh, you know, Benjamin type of play. So I do think using the four o'clock slate on this DFS slate more so than most actually is a really good way to find leverage and evaluate knowing you have a lot of the quarterback stacks in the 1 p.m. games. And as Hero Non-Zero mentions, we can stop pretending stop. perhaps that Ronda Moore will ever do anything. But also, I would tell you, again, fantasy football 
DFS in particular, we note pockets because we have to identify these pockets to get leverage on the field. Happens for redraft leagues as well. That's the best part about offseason, in my opinion, is that if you can identify pockets and why players did things or did not do things better than other analysts, then you can get an edge on the industry as well. And for Rondo Moore, remember, like the way we loved his uses the most, not last week, knowing he would have to be used without A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins. But more importantly, we loved his usage in the last game that Chase Edmonds went down to a true game-time call. Because remember, uh, that was before they traded for Zach Ertz, and they did use Rondell Moore as Chase Edmonds pretty much. Uh, They gave him a couple backfield carries. They also gave him a 19% target share. And so I would argue maybe they have been scheming all along that we could get Rondell Moore more involved if he's available to play. Again, this is another one we're taking down to the wire, and perhaps we're doing it just for late swapping opportunities if he's cleared. So the situation is, without Chase Edmonds, better than before. We're not treating this like any other Rondell Moore game, throwing out last week, which we know, again, he had to be used because they didn't have any other wide receiver. Right now, since, as we talked about, I expect them to be two of the highest roster quarterbacks. Do you have an opinion, like a strong lean one way or the other, on Brady or Dak? Yeah, I don't have a strong lean. I think I would group in Josh Allen to those stacks. Well, I actually think Josh Allen would be the most popular with those two coming next. I would probably go with Brady here just because I think he probably has a a lower chance of getting vultured from touchdowns or from beating up on his opponent so bad that they actually lean towards the run because we know we've seen the Bucs much more uh, pass rate. I mean, they lead the league, I believe, in pass rate over expectation, whereas the Cowboys have been much more willing to ebb and flow with their games and the games where they're winning. I mean, it started off the year. They were uh, in week one, super high pass rate. It's because they played the Bucs and they were losing. And also every team passes a lot against the Bucs. And then on the other hand, when they started winning games, they were much more comfortable going to Zeke, which is going to slow the game down and make it much less appealing. Zeke also just, I, th- I believe, more likely to vulture touchdowns from his offense. Uh, you know, he's producing them for the offense, but taking away from the offense from a DFS perspective than someone like Leonard Fournette would be. And now we have such good value in someone, assuming, you know, Chris Godwin is out because we already have Gronk out. We already have Antonio Brown out. I don't even think Scotty Miller looks like he's going to play in this game. His 21-day window is uh, activated, but he was uh, pretty hesitant to really commit to playing this week. I was kind of hoping he'd play because I think he's a good pivot off uh, Tyler Johnson. But he would be, ahead. yeah. Like I, you know, there's a chance he plays. I haven't seen if he, he made comments early in the week that he was like, "Yeah, you know, it's up to the trainers or whatever." And usually the guys who are like, uh, like even the guys who go, "I'm I'm getting in there no matter what." Half of those guys don't play. So the guy who says it's up to the trainers and coaches, I don't have a ton of faith that he comes back this game. I agree though, he probably would be, especially because they should be probably without two of the receivers. So it's not just Tyler Johnson stepping up. It's probably another guy. So I would go with uh, the sort of value. Uh, I think it probably just projects better, but for similar ownership with the the Brady stack, I don't have a big split. I think Josh Allen stacks for the first time in a while. I don't think they're maybe the, like the best play of the slate, at least in terms of the price of them, especially when you just, if you were to say it's Stephon Diggs, because Stephon Diggs continually this year has been splitting targets with Cole Beasy with Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders at this point, I believe leads the team in air yards. Like it's just not the Stephon Diggs of old. So maybe that means you can build leverage to your Allen Sachs by not playing Diggs. But I think more importantly, it just means you have a very high risk of playing any one of the different, you know, different variations of a Buffalo stack and getting it wrong. There are so many ways to get it wrong. Whereas with someone like Tampa Bay, now that we have narrowed this target tree to like one standing good player in Mike Evans, Tyler Johnson, I think also good, but not on that tier and Tyler Johnson and maybe a tight end. It is much easier to now say with Tampa Bay that have, if Tom Brady goes for 30 some odd points, 
you've probably got a good chance of getting it right. I don't think you have that anymore with the the Bills because they're much more flat in the way they distribute the ball. Diggs still leading the team in target share, but it is nothing compared to what it was last year. It's like three or 4% down from last year, as are his air yards. So I think to me, for the first time in a while, I'm finally feeling a little bit hesitant to go with Buffalo. And it's not even, you know, because of their whatever game versus the Jaguars. I'm just writing it off because it does seem like they've been good up until that point. I'm not going to read too much into it. It's more than just they're an expensive stack and you don't guarantee yourself a ceiling outcome just by the quarterback going off. And as I'm showing right now on the screen for all of those kind enough to join us live, our top five projected quarterbacks in our DFS toolkit available at NBCSportsEdge.com. And without surprise, it is Josh Allen, Brady, Prescott in that order at the top. Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert afterwards. We'll get to those in a second. What makes me upset, actually, on DraftKings in particular, is that after the Bills' poor performance, DraftKings still priced the Jets' defense, the Stone Men. And so, like, I almost feel like I want to play a Bills player just to leverage off the, like, the highest roster defense because you know you know everyone's going to go straight to the Jets and click it and then have the same freaking builds and so, like, you could actually start piecing your lineup together if you just start Jarendis Johnson and the Jets defense and then, like, Brady or Dak and, like, fit some Cowboys players around it because that's how everyone's going to start their lineup. And so it's so easy to just know, like, even going to 23, 25, 2800 for a defense is, is initially just going to be contrarian because everyone's going to want to pay down against the Jets offense. What about – do you have opinions before we move on here? Maybe it even fits the next segment – and your highest roster player. Do you have a thought on Mark Ingram or Dearness Johnson? I mean, I don't have, uh, you know, that Outside interesting... Outside of both just being genuinely just good plays. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at. I mean, both of them play on teams that want to run the football, have had success running the football, and have no other running backs that were really considering taking large shares away. I mean, like, you know, it's going to be a, a practice squad call up at the last minute for the Browns, and the preferred backup early in the year would have been Tony Jones for the Saints. Tony Jones done for the year a while ago. So they don't have the backup they wanted uh, to Mark Ingram. He is the backup, and, the, you know, the same with Dearness Johnson. I think that's because I think they're both probably just project really well for their price. That's why uh, I think the most sort of chalky builds I'm going to go are like some Brady with some really weird pieces elsewhere. But I think for me, it's probably just the stacks. I think the Brady and the Allen lineups project well because they're good offenses that score a lot of points. But there are other niche spots like a Kirk Cousins stack, a, a Justin Herbert stack that will be a good chunk less popular. And I don't think you give up that many points. I do think if you want to get contrarian at running back at more than one spot, like I'm probably not just playing uh, you know, 150 Connor, Dearness Johnson, Mark Ingram lineups, but I probably will build most of my lineups with two of them. If you want to really get frisky and, and fade all three, like I think you give up more points than it's worth if you give up the popular stack points. And that's why I do love waiting for that Herbert Cousins Vikings Chargers game at 405. It of course takes fading the three top roster quarterbacks on his slate since they're all playing at 1 p.m. and Allen, Dak, and Prescott. But I think the Chargers and Vikings are in a terrific enough spot that I genuinely don't mind. And you pay down at quarterback, perhaps with Cousins, and then you start your skinny stacks or start your runbacks, like even something like Tyler Conklin, who's very cheap, and then Big Mike, of course, who is bound to go off since he's finally in the past, you know, for the first time in the last two, three weeks playing a defense that struggles uh, on the boundary since Keenan Allen has been the one to have success against the Patriots and the Eagles most recently, because of course, like they just play the type of defenses that Allen would succeed in. So yeah, I, I am leaning towards, even though I want Brady, because who doesn't want Brady? I am leaning towards 
skinny stacking the Bucks right now, and maybe like Zeke plus Cowboys defense, maybe no Cowboys Falcons also leaning that way. And just since we know it's going to be the highest roster game. So just trying to figure out that and like leaving it up to Cousins or Herbert, depending what happens in that afternoon slate. What about your highest rostered player then, since you didn't touch on it? Versus the field, I think you probably, it's uh, like, you know, me, me saying Darren Johnson is a good play, marking him is a good play. They will probably ultimately be my most popular players uh, because the easy chalk running backs have pretty high hit rates. However, if you want to take, uh, you know, a look at me versus the field, because that's really what matters. That's where we are attempting to find our edge is mistakes the field is making. You briefly touched on it, but I just want to double down on the fact that I do believe the best game in terms of building leverage is going to be this Minnesota versus uh, versus the Chargers game. Second highest total on the main slate at 53 and a half. I mean, that's higher than Tampa Bay's game. That's well higher than the Buffalo games their opponent doesn't project to score any points. Uh, so it does have one of the best. I mean, it, it's the second best game environment. And I think it will be leagues less popular with the exception being that Keenan Allen's just underpriced on DraftKings. But that means that the stack, I still believe, has some leverage to it over different quarterback stacks. And I think Mike Williams gives you the leverage off of Keenan Allen. So building the Herbert Mike Williams stack will be like, I would probably be fine playing a lot of chalk in that type of lineup because I think it'll be that different and that negatively correlated. So if you want to take my, uh, you know, my roster ship versus the fields. I do think Mike Williams will be very up there for me. And then uh, like Dalvin cook, I think won't be as popular as some of the other pay up running backs. I like, it's going to be, I think a lot of the pay up running backs in general just won't be the most popular because the pay up stacks is where, you know, the, the Mike Evans, Tom Brady stack is expensive. The Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen stack is expensive. People are going to use their running back savings. I think more often than not, to get up to expensive stacks. So I'm willing to play that mid-price Mike Williams, Justin Herbert stack and play some chalk running backs around it. Or if I'm going cheaper with like a Kirk Cousins, that's when you could get up to like even playing, I think in a smaller field, playing a Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins type of lineup. I do love uh, Mike Williams. I am afraid, even if he gets steamed, how about this? Even if he gets steamed, I don't care. I'm freaking playing him. Uh, especially at since tight end, like the exposure to cheap, Tyler Conklin is too good, even if I want to just sit there and skinny stack it. Although I do actually love Cousins. Cousins, for whatever reason, like that's the that's the reason I, I don't want to play Brady because I, I really think, you know, Cousins has 300, three TDs in his bag. We saw Jalen Hurts leave it on the field against a, a tough Chargers defense who has given up the fewest plays of 15 plus yards through the air this year. But also they're just so banged up that that's kind of out the window right now. Had Jalen Hurts been able to hit a deep pass to a wide open Dallas Scotter and Devonta Smith in the end zone, we're talking about this defense and Hurts in particular differently. So Cousins can attack though them downfield. He's completed nearly a coin toss, basically 50% of his balls, 20 plus yards deep. The only issue is he's thrown at less than 10% downfield because they just don't get many opportunities, but the Chargers can push them and force them to throw downfield. So I do love Cousins a lot. I also like DeAndre Swift a lot. Uh, I think he's really not going to come in too heavily rostered with all of the options. I think he's going to get lost in the shuffle in the middle between the higher price guys like McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor, not even Dalvin Cook. because I, I don't even know if Dalvin Cook's going to be that heavily played since everyone's going to be thinking two steps ahead and try to leverage with Justin Jefferson. But I like DeAndre Swift a lot right in the middle, not on the injury report this week for the first time since week one out of the team's bye. No Jamal Williams again. And we saw last game before the bye against the Eagles, he outtouched Jamar Jefferson and Godwin Abuki 17 to five before being benched in the fourth quarter. Uh, and that's when, you know, the Eagles had a 38-0 lead in the fourth quarter. So assuming the Steelers 
can't get out to that kind of league because they're just not that good of a team. I actually do love Swift quite a bit, especially if we get Taylor Decker back on the offensive line and even correlating Swift with the Lions defense at 2,300, I think is a pretty awesome stack because I would imagine since everyone's going to pay down a defense, that gets us a low roster defense, just a tad higher. And the ones that are always like a tad higher, we talked about this in the recap show in particular with tight ends. Like you just go 100 or 200 up or down from the highest roster cheap tight end and you immediately get like 20% less rostered because everyone just gets goggles on around this one player and they can't see in their peripherals these other guys around them. And I love playing defenses like that too. And so I think Swift and the Lions defense is pretty awesome, especially since we also got Eric Ebron back at practice. And so I no longer am interested in Pat Firemuth. He could still go off for sure, but I'm just no longer interested in it. I'd be much more interested in trying to jam out Deontay Johnson in there or Najee Harris, but I also think Najee Harris is going to get pretty highly rostered by Sunday. Yeah, I think disgustingly the whole Pittsburgh offense can be pretty popular just because like it's like the Dearness Johnson thing. They have no one else. Like they are running thin on players to play. James Washington is their number two. Deontay Johnson averaging 9.9, I believe, targets per game. And that is uh, a few games with Juju and then mostly games with Chase Claypool. Obviously, both those players are gone. So I do agree the return of Eric Ebron doesn't like concern me. I think if we see a lot of Ebron, it's because they're running two tight end because they are like Ray Ray McLeod would be their third receiver in three wide sets, I believe. Uh, like that doesn't seem that awfully likely given that Ebron has at least been able to draw targets in the past year or two. So I think they probably just run a lot of two tight end. It makes me less concerned about Fryermuth, but I do think it, it probably makes him slightly less of an appealing play. And I don't think the field will quite recognize that. I think he's still fine at his price. But like you said, people a lot of times looking at a price range, think of it most often as sort of a tiered system. Whereas, you know, especially you talk about with defense, but a lot of these, like these cheap tight ends, you get a touchdown and that's your day and you don't get a touchdown and that's all you need. That's a very random outcome. So it's much less, uh, it will look tiered at the end, but in terms of projections, the error bands on a touchdown dependent 3,200 wide receiver or 3,200 tight end or wide receiver, I guess, uh, the error bands are so wide because it all relies on one individual outcome. And defenses are so hard to predict that it's just uh, the people think of it, right? As there's one, one really good defense or that great value tight end, but they're very random events controlling what happens with these. So it's much more, I think of a, a linear drop off between the next one, the next one, the next one. Sure. Some are better than others, but they're not that much. The field, I still think doesn't recognize that, which is what you pointed out by just paying up a hundred or 200 more. I want to throw out, uh, you know, I guess this sort of qualifies a sneaky stack, but uh, it does. I, I've looked at a few different projections for uh, popularity. I do not see people playing Russell Wilson in his first game back. He wasn't absolutely lighting up. They're playing kind of mediocre uh, before. Like, it started the season, it looked good, and then it didn't taper off a little bit. And obviously, the Geno Smith days were uh, pretty hit or miss with a lot of decent misses in there. But they still funneled their offense, which will now be helmed by Russell Wilson, to two players. It is just two players who control almost the entirety of the team's air yards. I mean, on the year, this is unreal. They literally have the top two players control 78% of the air yards and well north of 50% of the targets, 55% of the targets. That's the bulk of the passing attack going to two players who have one of the league's best quarterbacks and now play in a reasonably high total game. Uh, you know, I think it'll go well overlooked from all angles, but particularly the Russell Wilson angle. Devontae Adams doesn't go overlooked that often, but I think the other side will. So I know as, as we transition to sneaky stacks or just players, you know, they, they kind of fit the same mold of players I'm going to be most exposed to, especially relative to the field. Dude, like no one's playing a Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson stack this week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do wonder how many people will play Devontae Adams too, if you're going to play that. And Devontae Adams, like I've run a few optimizers and he's popping. And yep. even I just think like, no, I'd rather have Jonathan Taylor in the flex or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just keep Xing them out. But yeah, it's of course, it's it obviously depends on Aaron Rodgers' health when he returns. But that's, you know, that's the game we're playing. We're always risking something here. Also, the more conversation we had, uh, if you're playing Brady, like with Logan Thomas practically ruled out already, not official, but practically ruled out. Ricky Seals-Jones is a really good run back because he is around Dan Arnold and Tyler Conklin who are going to come in significantly higher rostered. Everyone's just going to forget about Ricky Seals-Jones. He's average, I think, at a six and a half targets. Without Logan Thomas, he's been out there for every snap. That's the most important part, even though I got the targets number wrong off the top of my head. So I think he's just a fine, like, onesie player you throw out there with Brady, another cheap option. And like that already, if you're double stacking Brady, whether Chris Godwin plays or not, because if Chris Godwin plays, it's not cute. Just play Chris Godwin. Like I think it's that easy. Just you know, stack them with Evans and Evans and Godwin and Brady. Easy. This game is so easy. But uh, if he's out, Tyler Johnson and Ricky Stills Jones automatically save you salary too. And everyone's going to play one of those. <laughs> no one's going to play the other one as actually a good run back at a tight end spot. So I think that's fine. Also, very quickly, I do lean Mark Ingram actually over Jarnis Johnson quite confidently. I think it's a bad line move. How many times have we already seen this year where, you know, as sharp as Vegas is, just so many numbers, they get out of hand. There was no downgrade from Zach Wilson to Mike White. We hadn't even seen Mike White play, but we saw Zach Wilson play and that's all that mattered. So to make the Bengals 10 and a half point favorites, the Bengals of all teams, like it doesn't matter if they just beat the Ravens. They're the freaking Bengals. Don't make them two score favorites. That was easy. Uh, We saw... Devontae Adams go out and he's just a receiver and he moved the line nearly six points. And it's like, what are we doing here? We saw Aaron Rodgers go out against a terrible chiefs defense. And that went up to seven and a half. Of course it got bet back down to seven, but that also was one. It's like, what you were actually going to move them a bat, a bad chiefs team. We're now going to make them over a touchdown favorites. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. It could be a potted fern in the backfield and it's still the chiefs defense. So another bad number. And I think this is another one where as good as Alvin Kamara is like the number shouldn't move. Like Mark Ingram can easily take his spot and the saints defense with Ingram could easily knock off the Titans. So knowing that everyone's going to go to Ernest Johnson, like I do actually lean Ingram quite heavily over him. Yeah. If you think, I think there'll be more close to similar roster ship, but I do think uh, you're kind of selling me on just buying into this Mark Ingram thing. And we know 
for a fact. We have seen three times in the past two years with Alvin Kamara out, uh, and there's just been absolute smash spots by two different running backs. One Latavius Murray, probably at the time good, although arguably was just a product of the system. And then Ty Montgomery in week 17 of last year comes in and backs up with a hundred yard performance. They're averaging 21, those three backs average 21 touches per game and 28 DraftKings points in those games. Their backups, I mean, it's, it's a small sample, but the usage is what we're honing in on. They use their backups, one backup actually, whoever it is, they use one backup as if he is Alvin Kamara when Alvin Kamara is out. And, you know, we don't quite know that that's the case with Dearness Johnson, that he takes on this combined, uh, you know, colossal role of Chubb and Kareem Hunt. He didn't, but they had Demetri Felton. So we do almost have a more, uh, a higher level of certainty that we are getting a one-to-one sort of correlation between the backup and the starter in Mark Ingram. So I think you sold me a little bit, at least if I had to pick one, that Mark Ingram may be the better option. Not, not to put you on the spot, do you know who Mark Ingram's backup is? Dwayne Washington? Well, I, I think it's technically going to be fullback Alex Arma. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> like Dwayne Washington is basically the chase Daniel of running backs. And good for him, by the way, but he's just cashing checks. Like he shows <laughs> up in week 17 to get a handful of carries because all their starters are benched. And then he goes back to being healthy scratched every week. So like Ingram might be in an even better touch space spot than Johnson too, since the Browns will likely call up Brian Hill. And maybe he doesn't get any touches, but Brian Hill is at least a running back that exists in our universe. Whereas Alex Arma, like that's not even his position. Right? He's just a fullback. So is Dwayne Washington on this roster? Was I right about that? That was a I think shot he still is. I'm pretty sure he gets healthy scratch. Uh, oh, I think, <laughs> I don't know if Divine Zigbo's on the practice squad or not. It doesn't matter though. Also, I think it's Divine for some reason, I want to say Divine Zigbo got cut and then re-picked up by the Jags. <laughs> He probably, he probably got weighed at some point. It's all good, though. But, yeah, so that's where I lean about players, like who I have confidence in rostering. Um, what about your fade of the week? We talk about it. I think it'll be uh, probably Bills and maybe even Cowboys. I do think the idea of especially – I like – you pointed out one thing that I thought was really astute is that playing uh, Zeke uh, – Zeke's going to be popular, I assume. It's a high-implied team I total. I don't – see, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I don't know, though, because everyone – Everyone's gotten so smart that last week Dak double stacks are so popular and they became in as the most popular over Zeke. And they were actually just a leverage. Like they were never the better play. They were just the mm-hmm. leverage. Yeah. So yeah. I do wonder if, you know, the, the way our minds work now, like we just forget about news within 24 hours. So I just wonder if everyone's already culminating on the fact that, well, it's doubt Dak bounce back spot when really we played Elliot because he was 7K on DraftKings. A week later, he's 7K on DraftKings still. So, like, why aren't we going right back to him as a two-score favorite in practically the same situation as last week? Maybe even better against the Falcons' defense. Well, I the uh, defense is the other thing uh, you talked about that I want to hit on. The Cowboys' defense plus Zeke. I think the the Falcons are going to have a lot of really popular plays. Like they, I mean, they logically make sense. Sans Calvin Ridley, you're probably going to want to play Kyle Pitts. You probably want to play Cordero Patterson, who is playing both like a wide receiver two slash three role. He's not the wide receiver one, but he's playing a, a significant role as a pass catcher more than a lot of running backs do. And then obviously also getting a, like the bulk of the carry. So they like logically make sense. But if the Cowboys go out and hold them to 13 points it will not matter that their roles were good and i do think that uh positive correlation of cowboys d and the uh and zico elliott versus the offense that i think will more i think the game is probably at least pretty popularly going to be played as pits plus you know amari cooper dak prescott cd lamb dak prescott 
I think getting a, a good leverage play off of that would be betting on essentially betting on the under, but the Cowboys still do Cowboys things and roll. And that happens via Zeke plus Cowboys defense. So, but that also is what you were, we were talking about fades uh, a few minutes ago. I do think just fading the Falcons offense because it's dusty old Matt Ryan, who's not throwing, he's like outside of the top 10 in yards per game, outside of the top 15 in yards per attempt. They're playing a, a pretty mediocre passing attack, mostly just fueled by a handful of high volume games, but they've also kind of gone back and forth on their volume. Even like the past two games, I believe they were at 30 or fewer attempts. And that was kind of how they were earlier in the year. Then they had a middle stretch where they did pass a lot. So they're not nearly the same always passing 40 odd times a game. They're a little bit more variant in that way. And they're not that great at passing now because they don't seem to, uh, you know, go deep as often or complete deep as often, which makes sense without Calvin Ridley. So I think they're an offense that probably is not that awfully exciting. I could totally see them putting up 17, 14, 10, 13 type of points. And that would be great for a Zeke game because they would just control and establish it, which in their wins, they have been one of the higher uh, run rate teams. So just in naturally building lineups, I know that, if you try to get like McCaffrey and Zeke, and then you go with Evans, and then also Mike Williams, even if you have Cousins and Conklin, I'm clearly speaking from experience, <laughs> it's just really hard to fit this lineup. So are you inclined, or would you not, or would you rank like one that you're fading easiest between the Bucks and Cowboys offenses, or are you making sure you have pieces of both? Probably the Cowboys offense. I think I'd be more likely to play okay. Bucks. I think they just project better for their price because Tyler Johnson's so cheap. I think Mike Evans without, assuming Godwin doesn't play, without any of the additional receivers is just a massive target share. And he was already, uh, you know, leading the team in, I believe, targets. I know air yards and was also obviously the way he's scoring touchdowns, a great red zone weapon. So I think, and because I guess if you look at the passing attacks, I think the best leverage play off them would be Zeke. I'm not as confident in Leonard Fournette as a leverage play off of his team. So I, and I also think that even if, they like the ideal scenario if you don't play the Cowboys offense and they still have a good game is that they split the touchdowns like one to Pollard, one to Zeke. They get up and the Falcons just can't put up points. The game is just overall an under. And I think when the game plays slow, they still run the football a lot and grind the clock. Whereas, as I talked about earlier, the Bucks highest pass rate team in the league, pass rate over expectation, excuse me, because they're fine still just burying their opponents. Cowboys not like that. So I think there is sort of a systemic risk of that happening for the Cowboys that could lead them to have a fine game where they win a football game, but they don't win DFS lineups. Bucks, I think, are less likely to be that team. So Cowboys for me, and I kind of feel confident in saying that. I still think I would probably also rather take the Cowboys than the Bills. So if I had to rank them in order, Bucks to me would be, I would say, probably my favorite stack of the chalky ones and then move down to Cowboys and then another step down to the Bills. So to be clear, you'd be more confident fading the Cowboys rather Correct. than fading the Bucks. Correct. Yep. Okay. Just want to make sure. Yep. Um, what about some of your sneaky stacks of the week? Yeah, we kind of touched on so we just kind of ramble on, but I do think Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, top 15 weighted opportunity, top 20 in red zone targets. And uh, I think that uh, that offense overall is just going to get a bit overlooked as the game goes overlooked, as the passing attack hasn't like had blow up spots. Uh, you know, they've, they've been more up and down than I think they looked early in the year, but the defense is not particularly good and it does have a high total. So I think playing it as a Jefferson, maybe even KJ Osborne, who like, he just rotates having a good game every now and then with Tyler Conklin as a player. I'm sure he's fine, I'm sure. But more importantly, just as cheap pieces of the passing attack, I think it goes pretty uh, unowned, even relative to Tyler Conklin. So that would be one. And then the only thing I, with my Russell Wilson sacks is it's been pretty apparent that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are negatively correlated. It's, I mean, when you just look at their game logs, they have essentially never gone off in the same game. It's just so incredibly rare. 
you know, I don't think it's impossible to happen, but at their prices, you are requesting a lot of them and the entire offense. Is there like, is Russell Wilson just a single stack play? Like Dwayne Eskridge, I think maybe is coming back. Dude, I like not playing Dwayne Eskridge. It's not happening. So is he Mm -hmm. just a single stack or can you kind of afford to maybe give up a little bit of combined ceiling by playing Metcalf and Lockett? I lean towards no, because it's just so rare that they do. Well, you have to run it back. That's the thing. Uh, So you're sacrificing Zeke. You're sacrificing uh, a Cowboys receiver. Um, you're just or Mike Evans, maybe Mike Williams. You're sacrificing something if you run it back. So that's all you have to be aware of. Because like among all the running backs, Aaron Jones. Like if we could predict anything, like Aaron Jones is also an awesome play. And you know maybe with Aaron Rodgers, Marcus Valdez Scantling back in the mix, this is the first time we're going to see the Packers offense what they're going to be without Robert Tony for the rest of the year. So maybe you can make an argument that Aaron Jones is going to get more targets. And if that's the case, like Seahawks, as we know, have been smashed by opposing running backs in particular in the passing game all year long. The only issue is it's almost been hard to predict Aaron Jones's like usage, like to put a trend towards it since we now have seen AJ Dillon used in back-to-back games and more importantly, double digit touches in four of his last five games, just without any rhyme or reason. So that's the only issue for, Aaron Jones, but also I, I just think the game comes in under roster so much that the pivot would be Devontae Adams, honestly. Yeah, I think at that point, too, that's like the lineup, like a, a Devontae or, a, you know, Devontae Adams, Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson. At that point, you are probably pretty comfortable just playing and it fits with the roster build that all the cheap running backs, all the, the good value running backs. So I think I think Russell Wilson, like in a, in a million maker contest comes in at like two, three percent owned Tyler Lockett, like five, six, seven. Devontae Adams, I still think will be popular. I know you think he may be a little less. Uh, and that may be true, actually, coming off of uh, uh, many targets in a game. I played a lot of him and turning nothing out of it, yeah. uh, at least for his standards. So maybe he does come in a little less popular. But if you were getting that really niche type of build, where also because you have played, you know, not cheap Russell Wilson, not that cheap Ty Lockett, and very expensive Devontae Adams, you're not playing any of the running backs people are paying up for. You're only limiting yourself to the cheap guys. So you probably do have a really particular uh roster build in that way so uh yeah at that point that type of lineup i probably am just playing pretty much chalk after that you know one or two maybe one-off type of plays but for the most part you can kind of just hit optimize at that point i've gotten jamar chase wrong last week i guessed robbie anderson wrong, wrong the week prior so i've been well, off everyone's on, guessed on, robbie on anderson wrong the yeah, past two months so <laughs> it's totally possible that adams comes in like significantly higher roster than i believe uh, if I could have genuinely one player's estimation, like the draft team just said, we'll give this to you right now. What do you want? I think I would want Jonathan Taylor because like everyone knows he's a great play. I just do wonder if he gets lost here. I can't imagine so, but also maybe people start thinking Dalvin Cook. Like I said, I genuinely think Christian McCaffrey is going to get steamed heavily because everyone's just going to see he is an awesome play. Uh, he can skinny stack with James Conner. Like he's just great because you can also leave him, like I said, for the late swap. But if that's the case, I do wonder if Jonathan Taylor gets lost. So I may just be play him anyways and then stick James Conner in the flex and late swap from there if need be. But if you play Taylor, Dan Arnold, I think is a fine skinny stack option. If you want to get really crazy, if you're playing the Millie or something, I think Marvin Jones is a fine option because they ain't going to LaVisca Chenault. Uh, he's not even an option to play. So yep. there's only two options. And you're not playing Jamal Agnew because he doesn't have a ceiling. So you're playing the guy who could actually have two touchdowns in his range of outcomes, and that's Marvin Jones. But again, only for deeper, deeper tournaments, but I do think he's a fine play. And then also we mentioned Cousins. I wouldn't mind solo Conklin because I hate myself. And then Mike Williams bring back. But I, I think you can get 
a lot of touchdown leverage just in having him, but also just making sure you're having cousins because it could be Adam Thielen. I don't think it's going to be given Thielen's drastic splits from man to zone coverage. I think it is a game that shapes up for Justin Jefferson to explode, but there is that chance. And so we can still get the touchdown equity here with solo cousins. And that leaves open slots for Tyler Johnson, Mike Evans, Mike Williams, like whatever, whatever you want to do with the rest of your slots. So I, I don't mind that approach as well. And then I already mentioned it, but DeAndre Swift and Deontay Johnson, I think is fairly interesting too. I wonder if that game is going to, everyone's going to look at a total and just say, okay, well, lowest scoring among all these guys I'm trying to roster. So I'll just forget about this game. No big deal. And if that's the case, like we know, like you mentioned, it's concerted usage all around for both sides. And so I, I think that's a pretty good sneaky stack option as well. Yeah, so I wanted to, you touched on McCaffrey briefly. I think if he comes in as unpopular, uh, he would, like, unpopular McCaffrey. And he's not even that expensive. He's 8,400 for his standards. You know, 10K McCaffrey last season. We were like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess that would have been almost two seasons. That would have been two seasons ago, Sands three weeks now. But, uh, you know, two games last season, every game before that. Uh, we were like, oh, 10K McCaffrey? Eh, he's probably still a good play. We didn't fully see McCaffrey unleashed uh, last week. It was uh, obviously a miserable game. Only 14 carries, five targets. But... I think that's good enough to point us in the direction because it was a game that was awful that if they can, like, I don't have a ton of faith in them, but if they do manage to play even not off, like not six points, which was last week, not six points football, you want to be playing unpopular McCaffrey, but you talked about him potentially getting steamed. And I think this is my talking points or talking points. Many other people will make. How would you rank in terms of popularity? Taylor, Cook, McCaffrey. I think it was probably, and Zeke, throw in Zeke there. McCaffrey, Zeke. Oh, Zeke over Taylor. Uh, I'm guessing McCaffrey's still going to be the highest roster among that group. Then Zeke and Taylor. It might be Zeke, honestly. Might be Zeke, thinking everyone's going to try to bounce back with him. I think it's close, though. And then Cook. And then Cook. Yes. I have the same order as you, but I don't think, I think McCaffrey's at the bottom of the group. I have everything else the same as you. I don't, uh, you know, we didn't see. Oh, you actually don't think people are going to get on McCaffrey. No, I don't think so. I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen him. We have seen like Taylor absolutely smashing and bat. Like he's averaging like six yards a carry. And I know that's really good. Also, I don't like those things are hard to sustain, especially when he doesn't have a very high pass catching floor. He's like outside the top 15 running backs and you know, receptions that's, this year. So that's, what, I, like, that's what's frustrating too about yeah. this is that Naheem Hines is an awesome play. And like, you just can't, I mean, maybe you can in like deeper tournaments instead of Jonathan Taylor, but it's just really hard to get there too, since there's so many touch base options behind them. You give up and so many Hines- points by playing Hines instead of marking Ingram, Dearness Johnson, even though on a normal slate, when the 4,900 backs are mostly trash and you're just hoping one of them finds in the, like the end zone, take the one that's leveraged off of Taylor. This is not a normal slate. Right. And well, also the frustrating part is that Hines can outscore those two guys on 12 <laughs> touch. Uh, that's why I'm so upset because I did want to play him. And then now how much it's opened up around his range. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I can get there. Can't so do I'm, just it, can't hoping, do it. I'm hoping Marlon Mack is active. That way I can just stop thinking about it and not get too cute before a lineup lock. But with that, unless you have some other skinny stacks, let's go yeah, ahead go and get the Kariwaki and notes out, uh, hit the theme song that we don't have for it. And let's get into some loose notes, Josh Allen and the bills, double stacking, single stacking, not playing Josh Allen. You touched on it at the beginning of the show, but I'm curious where you're at since we know he can break a slate and he's the one, one of them among with Brady and Dak that you would play at 1 PM. Probably not stacking at least relative to the field, not going to be as on this offense as, uh, as I will be other offenses or as the field. 
like it's not a slight against Allen or anything. It's just that I think this one, in terms of the uh, the price of the players, when you look at uh, and the distribution of the ball to the individual players, is probably the least appealing of all the popular stacks. And it's not like the Bills are like this prohibitive thirty-two and a half implied team total team. There are a lot of good team totals on the slate. Like Colts twenty-nine. Like I mean, they're playing the Jags. That makes sense. Colts twenty-nine, and they're a good offense. To be fair to them, Tampa Bay at thirty right around, and then Dallas over 31, nearly 32. So they're not like prohibitively the best offense, but they are priced that way and they still distribute the ball to different players. So not stacking Zach Mossing, maybe. I would also mention, I mentioned all the late swap options before. The two sneaky ones would be Eno Benjamin, who we touched on, and then also Javante Williams. So he's there in the afternoon for you as well. If you get caught up and you say, okay, well, this guy failed, thus I can't play James Conner. I'll just late swap to Javante Williams with ease. Um, those two guys are there for you as well as the others we talked about. What about, like, what are the odds Tyler Conklin or Dan Arnold outscore Mark Ingram or Dearness Johnson and thus you can play two tight ends on oh, DraftKings? No. Is that I... too wild? I, I looked at this like a, a year or two Listen, ago. The loose notes are the safe space. We could talk about everything yeah, yeah. that may have gone through our brain throughout the week. I think the odds are pretty slim. Uh, you know, I, I probably would not go there, especially I think you're probably much more likely to find that type of uh, that type of explosive upside in some like weird, uh, like Van Jefferson, his price came up, but he was always that guy who I was like, he could outscore a random player because he gets four deep shots. You're banking on like a two touchdown game. I'm Dan Arnold gets the ball a lot, I guess, but they're not, you know, high value touches unless they come in the red zone. So I would say it's probably pretty unlikely. I get the sentiment. I'd be more likely to do it with a random, like deep shot punt wide receiver. Is this a week where we can throw out the, our typical rule of 80, 90 to 115% total rostering rostership on these players, because it's a unique week and that four, five guys are likely going to carry 20 to 30% ownership. Absolutely. I think you have to be dynamic with your process, not just set a number that you're looking for. It's a good guidepost. It's a good way to say like in the Millie Maker, I need to have this percent or I should be shooting for this uh, roster ship percentage. And then mm -hmm. in a 1500 man contest, that number goes up by 30, 40, 50% even. And another way you can mitigate that is still playing a lot of chalk and then playing like literal one, two percent plays as opposed to playing chalk and then like a little bit less chalk, but then like a bunch of 10, 15 percent plays because you do get uh, like those one percent plays. Like just if you take uh, some of ownership, you get a far different number than multiplying ownership and uh, product ownership will be greatly, greatly affected by a 0.9% play just because that's how multiplication works. Those numbers are more greatly impacted. So if you are playing a very chalky lineup, which I will be playing more chalky this week because I think the projections dictate it, I'd be also be more likely to really barbell it with some weird plays. And I think like, that's why I bring up like Tyler Lockett. I'm not dead set on Tyler Lockett having a good game. I'm dead set on him being un unpopular and having a shot at a good game. Both him and DK will definitely not yeah. even, they'll just be afterthoughts. So yeah. Uh, that was, that's the intelligent contrarianism we always talk about. It's also just going to piss me off whenever Tom Brady double stacks and Eno Benjamin get there and everything. I'm going to get so upset at half percent Eno Benjamin winning. Any thoughts on, even if you don't run him back with Mark Ingram, A.J. Brown looking like he's going to play without Julio Jones? That, uh, I actually didn't know that. I saw Julio Jones popped up questionable, but uh, you usually come knowing, uh, you come to all of our shows. But downgraded on Friday to DMP after he tweaked his hamstring on Thursday, the same hamstring injury. Of course, he's been battling throughout the year. And so 
I don't know if someone says like, oh, Marshawn Lattimore doesn't play him, and I don't care about that. I just wonder at 7,800, since he's more expensive than Diggs, uh, just underneath Devontae Adams, like does everyone just forget about A.J. Brown as a potential skinny stack option with Mark Ingram as well? It's 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 a thought point. No, that's really good. I didn't. Uh, you always come knowing the which players are questionable actually, and which players are like so, questionable in the sense that, that they're not playing. I feel well, like you, you come could gladly shift. have my Friday news shift because I tell you <laughs> while it's going on. That's, that's not why, fun. Yeah. That's yeah, not the yeah, fun yeah. part of the knowledge. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I actually didn't have him that popular, and I. But he was kind of an afterthought to me too. I was like, oh, he's Julio Jones, or he's got Julio Jones with him. It's not the most exciting game. Uh, that's really, I think, uh, probably a place I'd be willing to go without Julio Jones. And it touches on something that maybe we talked about before. I don't. But we've had this show enough times that I can't remember everything we've said. But when there are chalky plays, if you can overexpose yourself to them, when the chalk hits, you hit even more, i.e. the cheap punt receiver, but his quarterback isn't popular. This happens with Devontae Adams a lot where like, especially last year, I was kind of comfortable just playing, well, Devontae Adams, because he's underpriced, isn't popular, but Aaron Rodgers is still 2%. Well, how about instead of every Devontae Adams touchdown being worth six plus the catch in the yards, it's worth 10. And although like you aren't getting that direct correlation with the marking or AJ Brown, they will like an AJ Brown score speeds up the pace of the game and forces, uh, you know, forces them to play faster on the other side. So I do, I think just as a matter of correlation where people aren't finding it, I actually do like that a lot. Rank these three cheap receivers, Michael Gallup, Tyler Johnson, and James Washington. Do you think people play James Washington? I think he's the least likely to be played, which is probably makes me the most likely to play him. Uh, so I would say Tyler Johnson, James Washington, Michael Gallup. That's in terms of uh, production or in ter- of ranking the way you'd play them? Ranking the way I'd play them. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. one's going to play Tyler, uh, James Washington. Again, we talked about it at the top of the show, but that's what makes this interesting too, is that if everyone spins down at wide receiver, it's those three guys essentially. So even everyone's like who they're rostering at the bottom of wide receivers is getting condensed too, which mm-hmm. makes spinning up for wide receivers where you can interesting because even w- with the cheap running backs around, I do wonder if everyone gets to, you know, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, the guys we've already talked about. James Washington, um, like another I, – I, oh, you know, Benjamin was the grimy uh, grimy good leverage play. James Washington, like James Washington, especially the way he's used, he's typically just that exterior deep threat. Two James Washington touchdowns that shut down that game for the rest of the offense would be so incredibly infuriating to the Steelers chalk players, which I will probably not be among. Any thoughts on Eagles, Broncos, since Jerry Judy is also a – pretty good play no i would probably reserve that game entirely for one-offs and even then i think it's like jerry judy and that like almost might be it uh the game is a pretty low total at 45 and a half and normally i'm fine playing you know cheap but uh you know cheap low total stacks because they don't need the amount of points that uh are normally required to have a tournament winning lineup but on this slate with so many like with a Russell Wilson stack having a 49 that the game has a 49 implied total and no one's playing that that's typically when I can find those types of better game environments but still just as unpopular it's not a game I'd be too interested in playing that is it for me any parting words before we get out of here no, let's go with these uh, these real grimy Eno Benjamin and James Washington plays. But they are the plays that I, I like both these you pointed out to me and are really astute point outs that like, especially for like an Eno Benjamin, you have to understand that like you were picking up, maybe it's only one, two, three percent ROI back by getting yourself across the min cash line when you're down and late swap. But like if you're trying to squeeze out an edge on your 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 1000 bucks a week. That's money back in your pocket. So I do like just these, uh, like especially in the late slate, but overall, like these leverage plays. It's a wild one. I think we touched on it all, though. So with that, good luck to everyone. Remember to keep your eye on the injury reports. 
Remember to keep those late swaps in your flex and be available to leverage yourself to hopefully get in the green. And we'll be back Sunday night football halftime as the faux Manning cast to recap our DFS lineups that hopefully someone hits on. So join us then, whether you're crying or whether you've won something, tell us how you've done. Until then, good luck in week 10. We will see you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.